0: Well, hello and welcome to today's webinar. My name is Oliver Hartlich. I'm the Executive Director here at the Initiative. It's my great pleasure to welcome our senior fellow, Dr. Bryce Wilkinson, and our adjunct fellow, Professor Des Gorman, as our speakers in the webinar. We have come here today to launch our latest report. I've got a copy of that in front of me. Every Life is Worth the Same. It's a very provocative title these days, apparently. And um, the questions we're dealing with in this report are questions of the health system. The questions are, Questions like Are Maori dying earlier because they are Maori? Do Maori lead less healthy lives because they are being discriminated against? And how much racism is there in the New Zealand health system? These are the questions at the heart of this report, written by Bryce Wilkinson with a foreword from Des Gorman. And we're privileged to have both of you with us today. So welcome.
1: Thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Oliver.
0: I want to start actually off by interviewing Bryce about the report, and then I hope we get some comments from you, Des. And um, I think neither of you needs much of an introduction, but I should just mention that Des uh, Des is, of course, an emeritus professor of medicine at the University of Auckland, and uh, has recently joined us as an adjunct fellow at the Initiative, and we're very privileged to have you in the team. And Bryce has been with the Initiative for 10 years now, um, doesn't need much of an introduction, one of the most experienced economists you can find in New Zealand, and the author of numerous papers with the Initiative, and the latest one, as mentioned, is the one we're launching today, Every Life is Worth the Same. So starting with you, Bryce, what? actually started this report for you. What triggered you to write this report? Uh, Back in 2022, I wrote a
2: a report evaluating Pharmac's performance. And Pharmac's prime statutory role with pharmaceuticals is to use the government subsidy budget to get the maximum health benefits for New Zealanders. Um, And my report documented that at least in the first decade, it did a remarkable job. Um, we started off spending more on pharmaceuticals per capita than Australia and having fewer prescriptions per capita. And by about 2010, that had been reversed. So when the government set up the Pharmac Review Panel, um, I was interested to see what it had to say about Pharmac's report. And I was somewhat perplexed when the uh, Review Panel's interim report said that that PHARMAC should be paying more attention to Māori. Well, Māori health problems are undoubted. Um, The average for the the Māori group of population, the average health outcomes are worse than for the population average. And of course, that's true in many other fields as well, education um, as well, welfare, imprisonment, literacy. So um, the, the question was then, well, what's that got to do with PHARMAC? And the immediate problem in my mind is that if FarmAC is doing its statutory job, it's already doing the best it can for health outcomes for New Zealand. So, if you require it to spend its budget differently, and in particular, the review report was suggesting it should change its subsidies in favour of conditions, health conditions, which disproportionately affect Maori, well, that must mean sacrificing the, the goal of all New Zealanders and putting um, a racial preference instead. And so, well, that might be
0: justifiable. But it led me to ask the question was, well, what was the reasons for that? And there were some specific statements from the Prime Minister and the Director General of Health at the time.
2: Yes, well, that was what I got into when I looked at the reasons. I found that the reasons in the um, in, in the Parmak Review report were to do with equity and the treaty and concerns about uh, these racial differences so but um, they referred me more to Ministry of Health um, documents well and documents amongst official done
0: widely in health and also I um, discovered that there was also government policy. Can you just remind us what did the Prime Minister actually assert on Waitangi Day this year? The, the prime minister
2: um, detailed a lot of the differences in the statistics for averages, the quite, quite upsetting differences, but said that they arose because people were Maori. And,
0: and she said there was systemic racism in the health system. Well, that
2: was the, well, that was the implication because she wouldn't have been saying that um, Maori are inherently um, incapable of good health. Um, She must have been saying uh, that it was because of the way Māori have been treated, which is a pretty negative thing to be telling Māori youth that um, there's nothing much they can do about themselves. They've got got an outlook for poor health because they're Māori. And that's almost saying that even if you put money into it, it mightn't make much difference because they can't change the fact that they're Māori. So that was quite a strong negative. Yes, Ashley Bloomfield
0: so, some of those things. Ashley
2: so. Bloomfield had, had on uh, giving evidence for the Crown in his capacity as Director General of Health, and in writing, had, had made a submission to a Treaty of Waitangi tribunal hearing, where he said that the um that, that personal and institutional racism was having a significant impact on the determinants of health for Māori. So So these
0: are strong allegations. Were they backed up by any evidence? What did you do after you heard them?
2: Well, I then wrote separately to the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, just asking uh, that the Prime Minister's department for the most authoritative empirical evidence she had to support that diagnosis that these uh, poor relative outcomes are because people are Māori. Separately, I wrote to the Ministry of Health and asked it for the most authoritative diagnostic empirical evidence it had to show that um, uh, personal and institutional racism was a um, significant cause of the relatively poor outcomes for Māori. And much of my report is about analyzing um, the responses to those two OIA requests. And basically it it finds that the authoritative
0: empirical evidence isn't there. So hang on, the prime minister and the director general of health assert that there is systemic racism. And when you ask them about the sources of the information, they say there's nothing there? There There isn't anything
2: there of any significance on causation. There's some evidence on correlations, namely that people's self-reported experience of racism is correlated with their self-reported health status. But correlation is not causation. And on the documents I investigated, um, there's great confusion, a, a great willingness to leap from correlation to causation. The the next step is, well, you can have correlation, but how material is it? There are a lot of other factors. There are a lot of factors which affect people's health status. You know, their genetics, um, their lifestyle choices, their diet, the quality of the health system is generally thought to be relatively small, about 20% towards explaining those overall things. Some Maori, of course, have, quite a lot of Maori have very good Health, the same sort of health as as the rest of us. There's enormous variation within racial groups between the people who are doing pretty well and the people who are doing really rather gruesomely. And um, a good inquiry would ask, well, why are some doing well and others not so well? So diagnosis is all important. Diagnosis is what I was looking for, quality diagnosis. And it's pretty upsetting that it's, it didn't seem to, it wasn't there in the material the official
0: supplied. I want to bring in Des Gorman here. So you read the report, you um, provided the foreword to the report, and you read about the inquiries Bryce had made um, on the data evidence behind the Prime Minister's and the Director General's claims. Were you surprised by the lack of evidence produced by these authorities?
1: Uh, no, I wasn't, Oliver. First of all, I have to point out that. One of the truisms of any public health system is that it's engaged in a process of rationing and that there are only two variables which you can manipulate, and that is who's entitled and what they're entitled to on the one hand and access on the other. So all decisions of allocation of healthcare are inherently political. And those rationing decisions are, how do you take a finite resource into what is essentially an almost an infinite need and allocate those resources? So I don't think we should be surprised that in fact, there is a strong political influence about how healthcare is delivered. That's inevitable. Now, the fact that uh, Bryce was unable to obtain any hard evidence around institutionalized racism does not surprise me. How do you quantify it? How do you measure its effect? And how do you separate it out from those factors which are inexorably linked, such as housing, accommodation and education? And those three factors I just mentioned are very strong social determinants of health inequalities. But I think the trend on the planet now, Oliver and Bryce, is to go to individual assessments and, in, and to focus on individuals and individual families and their broader social context. And the minute you aggregate risk to the level of race, I think you start running into anomalies and errors and a whole range of um, Assumptions: Is there a health system? Is there racism in the health system? Well, of course, there is. Humans are inherently racist. If you think about our speciesism—the fact that most of us happily eat animals and wear their skin—on the one extreme and at the other end, it's anchored by a mother's special love for her children. This idea that you know the strong evolutionary push we have to look after our own, along that spectrum from the mother and her baby to speciesism, is racism. And so that's the reason why, guys, we spend so much time and trouble in our medical education and our nursing education and the education of our other health professionals, making sure that our graduates are culturally competent, and that's to minimise that inherent uh, racism. And, of course, you then have to recognise that we undermine all of those good efforts by the fact that of the OECD nations, we are the most reliant on overseas-trained doctors and nurses. So we keep importing. There's a large flux of these overseas workers. And so there is an inherent uh, cultural incompetence. And the other point I'd make before I finish, I think we need to distinguish between what I would describe as active racism, which is where someone actually regards another race as inferior and takes material steps to disadvantage them or to diminish their need because of that inferiority or well, versus passive racism and passive racism, I think is best seen of in terms of cultural competence. Does the practitioner understand the health metaphors that that particular group used they understand the norms of behavior and how you access consent and things like that. So I would, in my experience as a doctor, I have seen lots and lots of passive racism. I've seen very little of any active racism. Uh, So are people racist? Yes, they are. Is racism uh, the explanation for the fact that, you know, I fuck a Papa to Ngāpui and Ngāti Kuri, so I feel very strongly about Māori ill health. But I'm looking for objective solutions, Oliver and, and Bryson. So I'm looking at things like improving housing, improving uh, education, improving employment as being material steps to reduce the, the health inequalities. But... I see that operating at the level of the individual and i said operating at the level of individual whanau and i think the minute you aggregate it to race you're in trouble for all sorts of reasons
0: thank you des now let's um get, go a bit deeper into your report Bryce. but before we do so just want to remind people we have um, the ability to ask questions you can do that via slido.com just have to enter the code which is 144 2088 once you do that you can ask your questions you can vote on other people's questions as well and we'll put them to Des and Bryce, but I just want to clarify a few things here. So you both talked about what um, data there is and what evidence there is for racism, what racism is, how you would define it. If I just wanted to explain that more succinctly perhaps, what you say is there is no doubt that there are different health outcomes for Maori and non maori The question that you ask is just, is that due to the fact that they are Maori or is it due to the fact that they're coming from a different socioeconomic background? Is that right?
2: Yes, that's right. Um, if, if you want to help people, um, you've, you've got to assess their situation and um, what's causing it. In, in our earlier report on welfare and wellbeing, um, we supported the previous government's social investment approach where you do actually set up mechanisms and, and test them for to what degree they make an improvement on people's outcomes um, compared to a control group. And that's um, and, and that sort of means that the delivery, as Des is saying, have to be tailored to the needs of the individuals. And if uh, different individuals, different age groups, different cultures, different circumstances, different problems in, in the home, on at work, or in the neighbourhood, need sensitive um, adjustments for the if, it, if the assistance is going to be effective. So there there is a little bit of danger. Our report is saying human dignity requires that people are treated equally. That doesn't mean, and it shouldn't be misunderstood to mean that it's insensitive treatment. Treatment should obviously be sensitive to the cultural and religious and other needs of the individuals who you're trying to assist. So I'm fully with Des on the need for people who are actually delivering direct to the individuals, which farmac isn't, incidentally,
0: um, should be sensitive to the needs of the people they're trying to help. We have to talk a bit about the economics behind the report, and we probably have to explain that to a lot of our viewers. Um, You talk a lot about qualies in the report. I mean, economists are probably familiar with that, but what is a quali? Uh, A quality
2: uh, quality is a quality-adjusted life year. So that's an assessment which uh, Pharmac uses and is used widely internationally, pretty crude one, but it's an assessment of the degree to which, in this particular case, uh, a pharmaceutical medicine does address the condition which is troubling the patient and does improve their quality of life. Um, If it improves it for a lifetime, then uh, the quality improvement is the number of remaining years of their
0: lifetime. So I just want to translate that from the economic jargon a little bit. So a quality basically means how many years of quality life will you get out of an investment in public health, for example? Yes, that's right. So the idea is to get the biggest bang for your buck. So you've got a limited budget, of course, because we haven't got endless resources. But what you want to do with that, you want to achieve the biggest improvement in the quality of life for the highest number of people.
2: That's right, and that's Pharmac's statutory obligation. So to ask it to depart from that is to argue for an inferior
0: outcome okay, by right. that yardstick. Let's break that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So previously, Pharmac was asked to maximize the qualities. So the biggest bang for their spending what happens then if you introduce a separate target and say, okay, but now you have to also introduce new measures to favor some Maori conditions in your spending budget. What does it actually do then?
2: Well, by definition, um, if uh, it, it reduces the, the overall outcome, Pharma can produce fewer quality, gain, quality gains for the same budget um, or expressed differently. With a fixed budget, you can only benefit one group by harming another group. Um, it's a zero-sum game. So to ask it to depart from the maximum is to ask it to give a benefit for one group at a greater cost
0: to everyone else. Now, some people might say, well, that's um, unfortunately needed because we have such poor Maori outcomes. We would want to fail them because they deserve it for equity grounds. But what you point out in the report which might be a bit counterintuitive for an economist you might even favor maori for spending under the pharma budget only to have worse outcomes even for maori even though they're favored how does that work
2: the uh, sort of by definition um, by getting Pharmac to buy a different set of medicines they are going to be less therapeutically effective per dollar spent um, otherwise, you would have had them in the maximum allocation. The How much more expensive are they per health benefit depends. Um, but the more expensive it is, the more people you're going to have to shut out of a benefit. And you could end up sh- shutting some Murray out of benefits as well. So... I, I've got a spreadsheet, which my wife said was far too complicated in the paper, and she didn't follow it. Um, I can make that uh, spreadsheet available to anyone who wants to use it, and it has parameters you can adjust, and you can work that out for yourself if you think it's realistic. I'm not sure that it is realistic. Um, that it would actually make Maori worse off. But it's something, if you're designing public policy and you really care about the outcomes you want to get, you would be looking at. And it was a disappointment to me that the Farm Act review panel didn't even seem to recognise that it's a zero-sum game and make that explicit, um, let alone that it could
0: actually make their target group worse off if they went too far down that direction. Des, what do you make of that argument that by favoring one group, Maori,
1: you might actually make that group worse off? Some members of that group worse off. Yes. I think, absolutely. I think there's, it's inevitable you will. And that's the point I was making before, Oliver, about rationing. Uh, if you have a finite resource, there's only so many different ways you can allocate that resource. And by definition, if you're allocating more of it from left to right, means they'll be less available from uh, right to left. That's absolutely inevitable. And that's the trouble with aggregating risk to the level of a race, because, in fact, then you're going to have many Maori in the situation where they're in the group where resources are being taken away. Uh, and as, the minute you start saying, we have to manage health risk by race as compared to by individual circumstance, then I think you're losing focus and this is not me arguing against our need to seriously address the health inequalities for Māori. But I think we need to see objective measures of outcome, such as greater independence and participation in society through employment and education, for example. Those are valuable outcomes, both spiritually, philosophically, and in terms of health. And so uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not depreciating the need for a better objective outcomes for Māori, but I'm with Bryce we need less political rhetoric and posturing and more objective evidence of what works. I think, on behalf of, I can't speak on behalf of Murray, but on speaking on behalf of myself, of my own whānau, uh, we want improved outcomes, not, not political constructs which don't lead to anything other than another argument.
0: I assume you would agree with that. Absolutely. Yes. Um, what do you think should be done instead? I well, uh, well there's so much which
2: could be done. Um, should we stick to health and answering yes. that? Yes, indeed. Um, but, but you know, it is. That's absolutely right. It's the whole package. Um, on, firstly, I'd leave pharmac as it was with the objective of using the government's budget to get the maximum, but the, the most effective pharmaceutical medicines for the various conditions you can buy with that budget. So the, the greatest health benefits for New Zealand. Um, secondly, um, one thing I said in my report is no one's satisfied with the size of the health budget. That were, The government deliberately left that out of the terms of the reference. But most of the people giving submissions want the government, the pharma to be subsidizing a medicine they want. But they're not so clear about which ones it should not be subsidizing. And I think the the central problem is that there's no clarity about what the government subsidy budget is intended to achieve. And so no one can really, has a basis for saying whether the budget's too big or not big enough. And and as Des says, that just leaves it as the political football, which is um, a never-ending cause of dissent. The um, but above all, and and this uh, is also making the point, which is really important, that there'll be more people non-Māori getting bad health outcomes than there are Māori, and. Uh, Uh, Taxpayers who who are paying the money, and they're of all races and ethnicities and religions, they surely want the people at the bottom helped, regardless of their race or or ethnicity. Um, So so, uh, policy should focus, as uh, the title of our uh, our, our paper says, on treating everybody who are in predicaments that they're really um, struggling with, And with human dignity, they should all be treated as as of equal value in giving assistance. Assistance should naturally be tailored to their specific needs. And again, that social investment approach, which the previous government was pursuing, had that objective in mind. And it allows sort of um, ethnicity-specific deliverers, if that's the most effective way of, of dealing with that with that population group. And that's one of the beauties of it. And it takes the view that local communities know best what the needs of their community are. And I think that's a big criticism and concern I have about the government's health measures generally, is that it's, they seem to be having the premise that Wellington knows best and centralization's better. And that's certainly
0: not true. Des, I see you nodding, so I yeah. presume you oh, no,
1: no, Oliver, I'm a strong advocate of the social investment approach. It's something that the Welfare Working Group, I was a member of, recommended. It's something that Murray Horne and I wrote into our health funding review in 2014. I think once you recognise that not only is disease socially contingent, but it's socially impactful, you realise that, for example, if you invest in mental health, the returns on our investment are to education, child protection, social welfare, the prison service, and so on. So only a whole of government approach can possibly change many of the factors which underpin uh, health. And and I think, you know, I'd agree with uh, Bryce. I think uh, there is a need for a shift away from Wellington knows best to local solutions for local need. And if I look at the health systems that I respect globally, the central agencies are there to enable local solutions for local need, not to have a top-down address. Uh, and in that regard, and I think this is something Bill English pointed out and all credit to him, we know who the needy New Zealanders are. We know them by name, and we know where they live. I mean, the extraordinary thing is we actually can define the population at risk by name and by address. Uh, and so I think to shift to the level of whole of country, whole of race uh, interventions is to lose sight of the fact that local solutions for local need is where the rest of the planet is heading, and for good reason.
0: Hmm. What would you as a medical practitioner regard as the best benchmark for the efficiency of the health system? Is it what economists regard as qualities, or is it something broader than that?
1: Yeah, look, I think the answer is, look, qualities, as you know, uh, is a very imprecise science, but it's better than nothing at all. Uh, And local communities are very well equipped to define their own valuable outcomes. Uh, And in fact, can do. When you ask them to say, what would you value as an outcome? They will tell you. And generally, it's around living independently and being able to participate fully in society, measured in various ways. I'll give you an example. If you're looking at people having cataract surgery, excuse me, and you said to them, what valuable outcome would you want here? The answer would be to be able to get my license back, not to have a certain level of vision, not to have visual fields of this or that. That's I want to get my license back. A person having a total hip joint replacement, a working age person would say, I want the mobility restored so I can go back to work. So I think the thing about going at an individual level, you can actually define the outcomes those individuals want and then what's required is a period of discovery to work out what's the best way of delivering it for that individual or that particular family. And so that, that's why you need to be at that level of granularity to produce the sorts of results you want. And I think that's what social investment brings. It brings an unrelenting focus on the individual, on our individual families, non individual need. It brings an unrelenting focus on what's the solution required in this context for that individual. And much of that, actually, and many of that in rural Maori communities will be understanding Maori health metaphors and understanding how Maori go about giving consent. So cultural competence is part of what you need to be able to deliver on the solutions. But ultimately, a long-winded answer to your question, Oliver, and I'm sorry for it being so long-winded, is that qualities are a better than nothing. But in fact, the the outcomes that we need to be trying to achieve are the outcomes that the individuals define as being valuable to them and then to a less extent valuable to the funders and everybody else.
0: But if I understand you correctly, what you do is you take an individualistic perspective. You look what works for the individual within the community. You do a cost-benefit analysis, you look at qualities, but none of this necessarily features race as a determinant. I mean, you take the culture into account, of course, because you want the best outcomes, but you wouldn't take a race-based approach. Do I understand
1: that correctly? Yeah, you're right. Look, cultural competence, cultural incompetence, will get in the way of delivering good healthcare. But by itself, it's not a magic recipe for better health outcomes. It's, uh, for example, I'll give you one very quick example of a um, person that I saw, and I'll change it a bit so that that the case can't be recognised a Maori man was seen by an Indian psychiatrist who'd been in New Zealand for about a year or so. And uh, the Indian psychiatrist diagnosed him as having schizophrenia and recommended a major tranquilizer. And the family was so upset, they made a complaint to the insurance company that was involved in a complaint to the health and disability commissioner. And they asked me to see him. And when I saw him, he was uh, unable to control the voices in his head and he's unable to control uh, what he was saying. So I arranged for the whole family to come and see me and they crowded into my consulting room and they made it clear to me that they saw this man as a tohonga. He was a treasure. He was blessed with the spirits of his grandfather and his grandfather would come back to communicate with the family through this man. And so I explained to the family that this was a wonderful blessing, but it was causing him great distress and we needed to do something to reduce his level of distress, which just so happened to be the same major tranquilizers as the Indian Psychiatrist had recommended. Now the cultural incompetence that he demonstrated in the psychiatrist was on twofold: one, he didn't understand the health metaphor of mental health for that Maori group; the other is he didn't understand that consents given by the family, not by the individual. So technically competent medicine became a com- was compromised because of cultural competence. Now I call that passive racism. That's not active racism. That's passive racism, and that's vulnerable. To education. So, in my view, addressing racism like that helps us deliver better healthcare, but it doesn't define the outcomes that a society, an individual or a family would find valuable. And if you go back to Michael Porter's work, value is either a, a better outcome at reduced cost or the same outcome at reduced cost, or both. And so it, it's very, it's very simple. Who defines where the value sits in an outcome? Is it Wellington? I don't think so. Is it Local communities and local individuals? Absolutely.
0: What do you think, Bryce? Where should it be defined?
2: Well, values in the individual. And um, that will be affected, of course, because we're not islands by um, the family around us and, and friends. But uh, yeah, if if you're trying to help the
0: individual, it's the individual's perception of their well-being. That's, that's what's the important thing. But you didn't see that addressed in the Pharmac Review Panel's report. Well, no, and, and that was one of the, the puzzles is, is Pharmac's not a delivery
2: agent. Um, it, its job is to use its budget to get uh, the most therapeutic potential benefits from the, the, the medicines it's putting in. Um, to the degree that it, it needs cultural sensitivities in assessing that, The the chief executive should already be employing that. Um, And the the Pharmac review panel didn't make a case that the chief executive was failing to perform his statutory function. So, I mean, to me for your pharmac is a bit like your your car mechanic or someone that's got a technical job to do. It is a demanding one, assess therapeutic um, effectiveness. That's the specialty. You need experts in that doing the bargaining with the companies to get the best price, that's, a, that's another set of schools. But um, it's like a, the mechanic who fixes your car has skills, none of us particularly, well, or most of us don't have. You want someone who does the job. Um, and you're like, why would you care what their ethnicity was or their religion was or whatever? You're paying for a job, you want it done, and then you want the best job done. And that was the puzzle, Pharmax not
0: dealing specifically with patients. Now, you spent many months on this report and you looked at the evidence from all sides. What annoys you the most actually all of this, that the pharmac review comes out with a solution that is obviously not based on economic principles or that they didn't even try to provide the evidence for what they were trying to do?
2: Well, yeah, what I find terribly disturbing having worked much of my life in public policy and the fact that this is medicine, you know, in medicine, if everyone knows that if you fail to diagnose the problem correctly, the person needs help. They're unlikely to get a helpful outcome, It could even make them worse. Well, it's the same in public policy. If you really want to help people and you don't take diagnosis seriously, you have to ask whether they really care whether the remedy they're proposing works or not. And that's really upsetting. You, we want a Ministry of Health
0: who really cares about improving the outcomes. Before we get to the questions from Slido, and just a reminder, Slido court is 144-2088. Just want to ask both of you, Des and Bryce, how difficult is it to discuss these questions? Because inevitably, someone will probably level the racism accusation against you for just bringing this to our attention. Maybe start no, I'll- with you. Oh, yes. right.
1: I'll start, Oliver. I have to add, by the way, that a system like Pharmac disadvantages people with rare and exotic diseases uh, by definition, because they're rare and exotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conditions which are putting Māori in graves earlier than other New Zealanders are neither rare nor exotic, uh, with all due respect. So uh, the people being disadvantaged in a Pharmac-type approach are predominantly people with rare and exotic disease. Mm. Uh, the second thing is that the point you make is that this is a difficult conversation to have because it it does immediately produce claims of racism and then induction of cancel culture, and it's very very difficult. It's easier for me because I do fuck a papa back to Nauru and to express these opinions, but for someone who can't do that, it's almost as if you are not entitled to an opinion because by definition, you aren't able to identify as as Māori. I think that's an abhorrent point of view. I think our society is based on a liberal democracy. That liberal democracy requires freedom of speech. We need a brave media rather than a bunch of cheerleaders like we currently have. We we need an academic community that's prepared to stand up and speak. And as you know, Bryce, when I started voicing comments which were critical of the government's management of COVID, I received appallingly negative comments from fellow academics trying to silence my point of view. So there is no question that this report uh, will involve uh, accusations of of racism, but there's nothing racist about saying the government has argued and the Ministry of Health has argued that systemic racism is responsible for ill health for Maori, but can't produce any evidence to support that statement. That's not a racist comment. That's a statement of fact. They haven't produced any evidence to support their hypothesis. As such, it's a completely unsubstantiated hypothesis, regardless of its merits.
0: Right. So were you concerned of that accusation? Well, uh, it, it, it will happen. Um,
2: I've got a chapter in the report on the international experience with affirmative action. And what it... it But I I cite enough of it to show that the grounds for real concern that the the benefits will go to the people at the top of the ladder and they won't filter very much down to the people who we'd all really want to see helped. And so it's the people at the top of the ladder who are most most likely to benefit from what's happening and they're most likely the ones who will try and close down the debate.
0: by by using the racist label, but let's see. Well, I think it was incredibly brave of you to write this report because you know what the response in parts would be. But I think it's important to have such a discussion and to actually highlight how important it is to have evidence-based policies. And with that, I think we should probably get to the slide questions because they're coming in and please keep them coming. First question, um, what are the first steps that need to be taken in order to move away from race-based? Uh, approaches to healthcare. Maybe starting with you, Des.
1: In in my opinion, the social investment approach is the approach to take, and that does involve focusing on individuals and their families. It does include uh, things such as individual budget holdings where high needs groups actually actually manage their own budgets. But it, it, it is an identification of risk at a very individual level. Uh, Yes, to deliver care for a Maori family, you need to be culturally competent. Yes, we need to be aware of what the systemic barriers are to access and so on. But ultimately, we need to be identifying that small group of New Zealanders who are doing very, very badly, and focus on them at a very individual level. And to go through a period of discovery of what is it that we need to do to deliver the outcomes that they think are valuable to them.
0: I suspect you agree for social investment? Yes, absolutely. Yes. For Um, credit to Bill English. Mm. Next question, Bryce, for you. Would Pharmac be better to evaluate medicines using a cost-benefit analysis from a whole-of-government perspective rather than a cost-utility analysis from a solid health perspective? That goes into the same area now. In principle, it would be
2: um, a full cost-benefit analysis. But in practice, I think it's impracticable. There there are too many other variables to do with housing and education and social welfare matters outside farmers' control. But there is is a valid point. If someone's got, say, a psychotic problem, um, if it's not treated, they could end up bashing up other people. They could take prison time. They could take a lot of police and courts time. And a full cost-benefit analysis would try and take those things into account. I think... um, so so Pharmac's focus on just the health outcomes is 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 arguably too narrow, but I, I think it would become um, impossible for it to do
0: the full whole of government thing. Yeah, I was just going to ask, where do you even find the economists doing all of these CBAs? Well, yeah, the, a good CBA can cost a million dollars, and in the US it can cost a lot more than that. Yeah. And as you have already hinted at, that you think this can be done at the community level, where there is probably better, yeah. better transparency and accountability. Yeah, I do.
1: I, I think we need a uh, an agency in central government that manages uh, the social investment approach. That manages that has the actuaries that has the ability to generate um, the counterfactuals, because unless you know the counterfactual, you can't size an investment. But I think the actual identification of solutions has to be at the level of delivery, which is at the level of of, of the community. Um, we don't want, what we don't want from Wellington are solutions which are one size fits all. What we want from them is the assistance resources that locals need to produce mm-hmm. uh, local solutions. And, and in that regard, yes, we would expect them to be culturally competent in that regard. Uh, uh, by the way, I, I must say about Farmac and about most of our rationing, most of the rationing in New Zealand is not determined by best return on investment. It's determined by the political economies which control healthcare. those very strong aggregates of providers and some consumers that have maintained their influence over the health system since 1938. The reason why our health system has been resistant to reform is because those political economies are so powerful. And, you know, the classic example in 1938 was when Michael Joseph Savage tried to introduce a universal healthcare system into community and primary care. The GPs, the, the New Zealand chapter of the British Medical Association, opposed him and rolled him. You imagine the guy with all the political capital of the Great Depression got rolled. That's an example of the power of the political uh, economy. So in, in my view, Pharmac represents an aggregate of drugs which suit the needs of the provider groups that have the greatest influence on on health care as we know it and the same is true in rationing the services you see are conventionally provided by conventional providers and accessed in usual usual ways they do not address individual need and they do not involve processes of uh, discovery it's almost like you have a menu of services and you choose from them but the menu never changes so i think um Pharmac is a long way from an an agency which delivers value across a community. It represents what's the best price we can get for the drugs that our providers like to use. Mm,
0: Thanks. We've got a question for clarification for Bryce. Um, If we invest in Maori who need it most, those with intersectional issues, will it take away from some other Maori without these intersectional issues?
2: Um, the, I think what we're this and I both are arguing that, that the assistance should go to all the people who are struggling, um, tailored accordingly, regardless of their religion, race and creed. But um, the answer to the question is, yeah, resources can only be used once. So uh, if you use them on one group, then you're not using them on someone else. Yeah,
0: The, the, the resources are scarce, full stop.
2: They have to be rationed.
0: Um, another question: Bill English strongly advocated for a social investment board using data to identify individual risk and needs. Why was that abandoned?
2: Well, you'd have to ask that uh, the the government that um... Um, maybe uh, asking know. you. Yes, no, no.
1: Look, it it still continues on on a small on on a modest scale within the Ministry of Social Welfare. God bless them there's a program called Orangi Mahi, which is health through work. And that is social investment, where there is uh, an identification of counterfactual costs, investment against counterfactual costs, and which is based on good actuarialism and where there is a local development, it's tight, loose, tight, guys, we're tight about the outcomes we want to achieve and how we're going to measure them, but quite loose about how it's delivered. Uh, And the people doing the delivery aren't psychologists and they aren't uh, drug and alcohol experts. They're local iwi groups that are good at getting people into jobs and so so on and so forth. So it it had, know, all credit to the Ministry of Social Welfare, they have preserved at least a remnant of uh, the Social Welfare uh, Agency. And we're seeing now through, again, Bill English uh, runs one of these agencies, we're beginning to see disabled people managing their own budgets which is a huge step forward, because what we know, we can do real-time transactional tracking so we can keep track of what they're spending it on. We know that they're very canny investors in their own health. And I think it underpins the future where people with chronic disease and people with significant disabilities will become budget holders. For the average citizen who doesn't have chronic disease or disability, the transactional costs will exceed the value. There's no point in it. But for people who are high-end users, owning their own budget is a good idea. So the answer to that person's question is, while it's no longer front and centre in the government's thinking, to be fair to them, at least there's a rudiment that still, there's still a heartbeat in the Ministry of Social Welfare.
0: That's right, yes. And um, in fact, we have actually produced a report last year um, written by Matt Burgess on actually putting uh, people with disabilities in charge of their own care and giving them their own budgets. And we launched this actually with Bill English in the webinar. So yes, it's happening. I've got a question here from our audience, um, maybe to both of you, but perhaps to you first Des, because you work internationally on health reform. Is New Zealand an international outlier with respect to the trends that we outlined in this report? So the race-based approach to health or are we seeing similar developments elsewhere?
1: Uh, the answer is there are similar developments elsewhere, but uh, I don't believe there's any real evidence that any of them are making a material difference to outcomes. I mean, I think affirmative action and health around the world has been very disappointing in terms of uh, objectively disappointing in terms of what it's achieved, but that's largely because they have not had a focus on the outcomes they're trying to achieve. If you don't know what it is you're trying to achieve and what success looks like, well, chances are you, you, you won't. Uh, But in terms of where modern health systems are heading, yes, we are an outlier. If we compare ourselves to Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, uh, South Korea, if we compare ourselves to the very best health systems in the world, which are generally private systems in the US, we're going in the opposite direction. We're going for a monolithic central health authority which uh, purports to deliver universal health care at no cost at the point of delivery, you know, we still have a love affair with the National Health Service. Well, I hate to point it out to your, your viewers, but the National Health Service is technically insolvent and has been for a long, long time. Uh, and so we have a love affair with a system which made sense in 1938 and 1948, but the demographic shifts, the ageing of our communities, the number of older people with multiple comorbidities, the cost of health care, the, the relative decline in the community that pay tax but don't consume Healthcare or pay premiums means that those systems are just not economically viable anymore. That's yesterday's thinking. So we're still trying to move to a national health service, which really is based on uh, outdated thinking and an outdated approach. Ross. Uh, no, I won't add, add to that because my
2: um, my focus has been narrower on, on pharmac and I haven't um, written a report about our overall health system. Um, I did do a report some years ago on the Singapore health system and um, how favorably that compared. They had their cost structure so low that they could do uh, medical tourism, fly um, specialists from the US to treat US patients who also flew to Singapore.
0: And um, I sort of thought, well, gosh, if New Zealand got its act together, it could do that too. Mm -hmm. Now, you both mentioned the importance of local solutions, of the social investment approach, so this question is relevant to both of you. In regards local, is it likely that Health New Zealand will be any more likely than DHBs to be successful? Who would like to go first?
1: I'll start if you like, Oliver. No, I think it's going to be less successful. Uh, It's even further removed from the needs of communities. Uh, It's ironic that We had a health funding authority and regional health entities, which uh, Helen Clark's government disestablished on the basis that healthcare need to be governed far more locally with a significantly greater local focus. Uh, So this is actually reversing those reforms. Uh, Yes, there's gonna be localities. No one knows how many or what they actually look like or what they'll actually be doing. No one knows what the district health boards will become. They're currently being called districts, but what on earth does that mean? I mean, most of the new structure lacks definition and it certainly lacks coherence. Uh, And it's a great tragedy. The idea that you can restructure the health bureaucracy and there'll be an outbreak of better healthcare is at best naive. Um, You reform a service industry by absolute focus on the customer experience. And if you read the health reform documents that, we're, that we have presently available to us, the customer experience is not a focus at all. It's about restructuring a bureaucracy. So sadly, I think we're moving away from local solutions to local need. But given that most of the system is yet to be defined, who knows? But I think the one thing I can guarantee for that person who asked that question is you will see more bureaucrats and you will see a shift in investment from the front line to the back office. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah,
2: as, as an economist, um, the critical thing for government and health is public health, like, like the, the COVID thing we've seen and infectious diseases and things. Much of the rest of health is a private good. You know, my knee operation benefits, but me, but no one else really. And that distinction has been blurred. The government's, people are expecting too much of government. Um, The government's involved in all sorts of things. It it can't do well. And it's uh, distracting it from things like public health where we would
1: really want it to excel. Yes, look, I can pick up on that uh, just quickly. Oliver, we don't have a health system. We have a disease and injury management system. We have a system that reacts to health problems and tries to fix them and that's maintained by the way we invest and it's maintained by the fact that new zealanders view healthcare like insurance they assume that when it need when it's needed it'll be there what we don't have is a funding mechanism which drives us upstream the only way to manage uh, the growth of hemodialysis units and people going into diabetic renal failure is to prevent the onset of diabetes it's not to better manage diabetics it's to be so far upstream that you're preventing the onset of diabetes that requires a completely different funding mechanism to shift us from a reactive injury and disease management system to a health system. These health reforms should have been based on that sort of logic, not on Keynesian economics. And you guys know this better than I do. If you sh- you know that that a central agency has a greater chance of efficiency. So, uh, in my view, I think it's important for the viewers to understand we don't have a health system. Let's not pretend we have a health system. We have a disease and injury management system, which is maintained by the way we fund healthcare when we fund it by activity. And so what we get is activity. What we don't get are better outcomes and what we don't get are people like me spending all day every day upstream trying to prevent the onset of disease and injury. In
0: summarizing the learnings from this discussion and in summarizing the learnings from the report, Des, what would be your three key takeaways from Bryce's research? Yeah,
1: I think the ill health of Māori is too important to leave it in the realm of rhetoric. I think it needs objective data, and I think the objectivity has to be focused on better outcomes. I think, it. I mean, yes, it's enough talk and enough postulating. What we need is do something. We want interventions which have demonstrated better outcomes.
0: And for Bryce, for you, what, what, what would be the main conclusions from your research from the report. Data, I think you probably agree. What else? What stands out for you? Uh, Finding
2: out what works, uh, greater use of decentralized mechanisms, um, greater uh, uh, public empowerment, uh, like the disability case. Um, People know their needs best. This current system largely disempowers them. Um, so moves that can be made at the margin to give people more control over what they get, more choice
0: uh, are the way to go. And if I could add my observation to that too, I think the main take out from this report, apart from the specific health issues, we need more evidence-based policy. It's not good enough to make policy just on rhetoric, even when it suits a political narrative, you have to back it up with data, with facts, You have to research your policies properly before you introduce them, and it's not enough to go out with slogans as well-intentioned as they might be, and I think that stands out for me, and that's actually one of the lessons we've come up to in many of our reports across different fields, education, health, we need more evidence-based policymaking. I think that one we can probably all agree on, and I see you nodding this.
1: Yep, vigorously.
0: Well, that's probably all we have time for today. Uh, It's more just my task to thank you both for enlightening us today. And I thank you specifically, Bryce, for writing this report. You can find it on our website. It's at nzinitiative.org.nz. It's called Every Life is Worth the Same. And I hope it will take this health debate and the debate on the future of Pharmac Forward. But for now, thank you, Des. Thank you, Bryce, and thank you all for watching. Thank you, all.